Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Shishi Radagovan Kijai, Jarna Fodix, Vadadiv Kijai, Shishi Gorvath Hai Kijai, Shri Prabhupada Kijai. Unamo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Unamo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Unamo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Canto 4, Chapter 6, Text 42. Um, if you don't mind, I'll do the word for word first to guess one but to the Sanskrit. Brahma Uvacha, Lord Brahma said, Jane, I know, Twam, you, Lord Shiva, Isham, the controller, Vishvasa, of the entire material manifestation, Jagataha, of the cosmic manifestation, Yoni Bijayo, of both the mother and father, Shakte, of potency, Shivasya, of Shiva, Cha and Param, the Supreme, Yet, which, Tut, that, Brahma, without change, 
nirantaram with no material qualities. Brahma uvacha janetvam isha isham vishpasya jagato yoni bijayo shakte shivasya chaparam yatad brahma nirantaram brahma uvacha Janetvam isham vishpasya Jagato yoni bijayo Shakte shivasya chaparam Yatad brahma nirantaram Brahma uvacha Janetvam isham vishpasya Jagato yoni bijayo Shakti sivasya chaparam Yatad brahma nirantaram I repeat Brahma vacha Jagato yoni bijayo Shaktesi vasya chaparam Yatad brahma nirantaram Brahma uvacha Janetvam isham vishpasya Jagato yoni bijayo Shaktesi vasya chaparam Yatad Brahma Nirantaram Brahma Uvacha Janetvam Isham Vishpasya Jagato Yoni Vijayo Shakti Shivasya Chaparam Yatad Brahma Nirantaram Translation Lord Brahma said, My dear Lord Shiva, I know that you are the controller of the entire material manifestation, the combination father and mother of the cosmic manifestation, and the supreme Brahman beyond the cosmic manifestation as well. I know you in that way. Purport. Although Lord Brahma had received very respectful obeisances from Lord Shiva, he knew that Lord Shiva was in a more exalted position than himself. Lord Shiva's position is described in Brahma Samhita. There is no difference between Lord Vishnu and Lord Shiva in their original positions, but still Lord Shiva is different from Lord Vishnu. The example is given that the milk and yogurt is not different from the original milk from which it was made. And I'll just read text 43 as well. <coughs> Tvam eva bhagavan etach jiva shakto svarupayo vishvam srijasya pasyati kridan urna patoyata. Translation My dear Lord, you create this cosmic manifestation, maintain it, and annihilate it 
by expansion of your personality, exactly as a spider creates, maintains, and winds up its web. Purport. In this verse, the word Shiva Shakti is significant. Shiva means auspicious, and Shakti means energy. There are many types of energies of the Supreme Lord, and all of them are auspicious. Brahma, Vishnu, and Maheshvara are called guna avatars, or incarnations of material qualities. In the material world, we compare these different incarnations from different angles of vision. But since all of them are expansions of the supreme auspicious, all of them are auspicious, although sometimes we consider one quality of nature to be higher or lower than another. The mode of ignorance, or tamoguna, is considered very much lower than the others, but in the higher sense, it is also auspicious. The example may be given herein that the government has both an educational department and a criminal department. An outsider may consider the criminal department inauspicious, but from the gov government's point of view, it is as important as the education department, and therefore the government finances both departments equally without discrimination. Om Gyanatimirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurini Tamjeda Tasmai Shri Gurave Naha Namo Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Shrimate Bhakti Vanta Swami Tinamine <coughs> Namaste Sarasvati Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Srinavade Pasyapyade Sitarine Vanshakalpata Yugascha, Kripa Sindhu Devacha, Patitanam Pavanebhyo, Vaishnavebhyo, Namo Namaha. So, the reason why I read 43 is because I felt that we could include some of the subject matter mentioned in the purport that Srila Prabhupada mentions and discuss it today. Today is the election day in the United States, and Srila Prabhupada is talking about different government departments and how, from the government's point of view, um, both need to be funded and both are important, although one may be considered from some people's perspective inauspicious and from other people's perspective auspicious. So, um, Krishna set up this world, putting uh, deputies in charge of various areas. So he has uh, the guna avatars, the incarnations of the modes of goodness, passion, and ignorance. That's sattva-guna, rajaguna, and tamaguna. And so we have Brahma, Vishnu, and Maheshvara, that's Lord Shiva. And later in the fourth canto, in the eleventh chapter, Swayambhuvamanu explains to Druva when he's preaching to Druva actually about what when Druva is killing the yakshas, um, he he starts killing them too much, um, and so he's warning Druva, okay, that's enough, that's enough, you've killed them enough. He tells him um, that the supreme lord. Uh, he causes the interaction of the three modes of material nature, and there's varieties of energies that manifest. 
And although it appears like he's acting, he's not really the actor. Although it appears that he's killing, he's not really the killer. And it's by his inconceivable power that everything is happening. So he's basically created this sort of governing power or governing principle in the material world, and he has set it up in a specific way. And in the purport, Srila Prabhupada says, <clears throat> this is the right explanation of the display of creative energies in the material world. We can better understand the mercy of God by this example. A government state is always supposed to be merciful, but sometimes, in order to keep law and order, the government employs its police force, and thus punishment is meted out to the rebellious citizens. Similarly, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is always merciful and full of transcendental qualities, but certain individual souls have forgotten their relationship with Krishna and have endeavored to lord it over material nature, and as a result of their endeavors, they're involved in varieties of material interaction. And so he also gives the example in the purport how it's uh, elaborating on the, the verse that it's explained in the Vishnu Purana that fire, although fire is situated in one place, the heat and the light produced by the fire, they act in different ways. So although fire is fire, the heat and the light may go sort of beyond the fire, it's situated in one place, but the heat can reach that place and the light can meet that place, just like the, the fire of the light bulbs, it's right there, but the light that's coming from it is just dispersed in this whole room. So that's an example that Srila Prabhupada uses to sort of explain how Krishna set this, this up and how he has different all different energies and deputies and personalities and different roles. So in this material, Prabhupada continues further, in this material world, the Lord incarnates in three forms as Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, by which he takes charge of the three modes of material nature. And so, yes, he's the original source of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, Garbhadakashaya Vishnu, and is always apart from these actions and reactions of material nature. So Lord Shiva is a guna avatar, he's in charge of the mode of ignorance, but he's different from Lord Brahma, as we've been discussing, that he's not a living entity. And Prabhupada explains this later on in the fourth canto, again in the 30th chapter. Um, the Prachetas are actually offering their prayers. They say, although a living entity like us, Lord Brahma is exalted due to his pious activities. Therefore, he is given the high post of Brahma. So that it's, it's actually a post. So Brahma is a person who's taking a post. Lord Shiva is a person who is taking this post as being in charge of a certain thing. Lord Shiva is not actually like a living entity, but he's not the Supreme Personality of Godhead. His position is somewhere between Vishnu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and Brahma, the living entity. And this is explained further in the Brahma Samhita. The example is given, as we've been discussing, Lord Shiva is considered to be like yogurt, Yogurt is milk transformed, um, although milk, yogurt can't, it's not actually milk, it's yogurt now. So similarly, Lord Shiva holds almost all the powers of Lord Vishnu, and he's also above the, the qualities of the living entities, but he's not exactly like Vishnu. So he's in charge of the mode of ignorance. And as we've seen in his pastime, he was judged by Daksha, 
because of his position, his job. So Daksha was criticizing him for, oh, he associates with these people, he does this, he does this, he looks like this. And all of those things which he was criticizing were actually uh, a part of, of Lord Shiva's, they were part of Lord Shiva's appearance and, and personality because of his job, his position, the, the position he was in. So he was judged by Daksha, but like Lord Brahma is saying here, he's offering prayers to Lord Shiva and saying, you know, you create the cosmic manifestation, you maintain it, you annihilate it, you, you're, he's glorifying him like the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's saying, you're the controller of the entire material manifestation. So he's offering these different prayers and he's acknowledging, he's saying, I know you in this way. So I know that you're not the job position that you hold, that you're actually a very exalted personality. And, and the, even this, the position that you hold, all, all these things that you're doing, you are a very exalted personality. And the way Daksha was, was analyzing him and perceiving him was offensive because he was sort of putting him in, in a box and seeing it as something that maybe was less, less valuable. And so, interestingly, in fact, sometimes Krishna has to fill in, uh, has to fill in some of the job posts himself. So sometimes it's said in the second canto, um, in the tenth a chapter, text thirty-six, in the in the purport, Prabhupada explains that the Lord as Vishnu. Brahma and Shiva conducts the three modes of material nature. From Vishnu is born Brahma, and from Brahma is born Shiva. Sometimes Brahma is a separated part of Vishnu. Sometimes Brahma is Vishnu himself. Thus, Brahma creates the whole different species of life all over the universe, which means that the Lord creates the whole manifestation, either by himself or through the agency of his authorized deputies. So sometimes he puts deputies in charge, sometimes he does it himself. So. He does it different ways, different times, switches it up a little bit. So whether it's someone who is a living entity or someone who is like Lord Shiva, somewhere between Vishnu and, and Brahma, it doesn't matter as much as the service itself being executed properly. So that's what's basically being said here is that we could, we could analyze the, the, the criminal department and say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, why, you know, the criminal department is lesser than the, whatever, the education department. But no, like Srila Prabhupada saying in the purport, they're actually both important. They both function to accomplish the, the main goal together, but they do it in different ways because those ways have to be there. It's accommodating. Um, there's different ways of accomplishing something because living entities, which discuss further here. So in fact, actually, it, it's glorious that such a personality like Lord Shiva, he's so willing to accept his role in service to Krishna, even at the cost of being perceived negatively, like he was with Daksha. And um, interestingly, he even wears this attire just to suit the role of Lord of Tamaguna. So sometimes we have to see, are we judging someone's character based on the role or service or job they have? And are we willing to do different kinds of services that maybe we don't find so interesting or 
unpalatable, but knowing that, that it has to be done and it's in Christian service either way. And a good one question I was thinking was, okay, so why did, why did Krishna set up this material world in this way to have three modes? Why didn't he just set it up for the mode of goodness? Why couldn't it just be like, oh, everything's, you know, why just set it up this way? Um, but uh, it says later in the, actually, in the next chapter, we're on chapter six, but in the next chapter, Lord Brahma will explain further, and I'll just read it now because it relates to today's topic. Um, it's in the seventh chapter. Lord Brahma says, wait, no, it's not Lord Brahma, actually, it's, um, anyways, I don't know what it is right now, but, oh, my chair. So, my dear, my dear great and powerful Lord Shiva, you were created first from the mouth of Lord Brahma in order to protect the brahmanas in pursuing education, austerities, vows, and self-realization. As protector of the brahmanas, you always protect the regular principles they follow, just as a cowherd boy keeps a stick in his hand to give protection to the cows. And so further in the purport, Prabhupada explains, Lord Shiva is called Pashupati because he protects the living entities in their developed consciousness. Okay. Lord Shiva is always interested in protecting the animals and the animalistic living entities who are not very advanced in the spiritual sense. Okay, so basically, he has the job of looking after those who aren't so developed in consciousness. Lord Shiva is known as Pasupati, the protector of the Brahmanas and other living entities. He protects them from the attacks of non-Brahmanas or uncultured persons who are against the self-realization process. So he's, um, he actually, well, let me explain further. The word Pashu refers to the animal as well as to the human, human entity. So he is, he sort of keeps a stick in his hand. He kind of has like this, he's sort of in charge of the criminal department. He has to sort of keep keep those non-Brahmanas or those who are in the lower, who, who are lower in evolution, he keeps, sort of keeps them in line. And this simultaneously keeps them in line and also protects those who are um, more evolved in consciousness. So Prabhupada explains further that Lord Shiva's aim in destroying the Daksha Yagya was to punish Daksha because by neglecting him, Lord Shiva, Daksha was committing a great offense. Lord Shiva's punishment was just like that of a cowherd boy who keeps a stick to frighten his animals. So a cowherd boy isn't there to beat his cows. He's actually there to take care of them and tend the cows, but he holds a stick to show that sometimes there may be some rebellious one that decides they want to do it a different way, and he shows him the stick. So sort of there's the, that threat there. Lord Shiva's punishment was just like that of a cowherd boy who keeps a stick to frighten his animals. It is commonly said that to give protection to animals, a stick is needed because animals cannot reason and argue. Their reasoning and argument is argument, argumentum and ad baculum. Unless there is a rod, they do not obey. So some people have to be shown the rod to obey, and some people don't. They know, if I do this, then this will happen, so I'm not going to do it. And others, they may know it and just decide to do it anyway, 
or they may not know it, and they have to learn that it's bad by being shown a stick. Oh, this is bad. I wonder why it's bad. So force is required for animalistic class of men, whereas those who are advanced are convinced by reason, argument, and scriptural authority. So, um, yeah, persons who are simply attached to Vedic rituals without further advancement of devotional service or Krishna consciousness are almost like animals. And Lord Shiva is in charge of giving them protection and sometimes punishing them as he punished Daksha. So Lord Shiva wasn't eager to punish Daksha. In fact, he was very reluctant and he kind of waited it out. He didn't want Sati to go. He knew he had a strong feeling. He knew if she goes, Daksha's not going to be receptive to her peacemaking attempts. But he let her go. And so she did. So this world is designed perfectly by Krishna to reform or spiritually evolve us and our desires if we choose to do so. And if we don't want to, we really won't. So just like a person who, although suffering so much, finds, finds prison to be actually more comfortable than being out in the real world where they have freedom. And, in pri and a prisoner may actually blame the government or the law enforcement or even say like, oh, the judge that I had particularly or the officer who arrested me for being in, they could blame them for being, for them being in jail. But ultimately from a very basic sense of the scenario, like I know we could get into this more, but if they hadn't done the crime, they wouldn't be there. And then the memory is locked up because they know how frightening it is. So they could say, oh, I, I didn't, or someone could say, Man, why was I punished? I didn't know that was wrong. I, I didn't know it was wrong. Why, why was I punished? But Prabhupada often uses the example of karma, that, that the laws of nature, they act regardless of whether we know or not about the laws of nature. So no one is actually excused from the laws of nature of the material world. No one is excused from the reformatory process and actually, life's most valuable thing is our spiritual evolution. And so there is always this, uh, it seems, there's this desire in us for intrigue. There's a desire for us to make someone a perpetrator, to put someone, uh, to put actually the blame or responsibility on someone else instead of ourselves. So we can see that sometimes we may <clears throat> we may hear from others, oh, this person that's in this authority position, they're like this, or there's this conspiracy theory that there's this thing that's happening. And so there's this sense, there's a sort of um, like desire to, of intrigue to make something more powerful than us that's like a perpetrator and they're after us to, to put us down. Um, but actually, it's not the case. Because we are, what, what, when we do that, what we're doing is we're shifting or we're attempting to shift responsibility onto a different party. When ultimately, all these different ways, there's responsibility ultimately for the living entity. That's why we're here. And we may want to shift it to this group or to this person or to that. <clears throat> but all we're doing is just trying to shift responsibility around. And at the end of the day, or the end of the material manifestation, we are still left with this responsibility ourselves.
in the second canto, um, seventh chapter, 50th verse, Prabhupada says in the purport, one should not deprecate the Supreme Lord for the creation of this miserable world, just as one should not blame the king for creating a prison house in the government. <clears throat> the prison house is a necessary institution of the governmental establishment for those who are disobedient to the laws of the government. Similarly, this material world full of miseries is a temporary creation of the Lord for those who have forgotten him and are trying to lord it over the false manifestation. Okay, so I understand like it's a kind, it can be a touchy subject because we've seen, okay, the people in governmental or law enforcement positions that have utilized their positions sort of exploit and harm others. Um, so we're just speaking on the basic principle here of government and governance. And so Prabhupada is explaining, as, as it is explained in the scriptures, that this world is actually, yeah, it's, someone could say it's pretty miserable, and most of us probably experience miseries here. But we shouldn't blame Krishna for creating it. Um, just like, why would we blame someone, the government, for creating a prison house? I, pers I personally would rather have certain people in jail than be my next door neighbor. So then Prabhupada explains further. He, however, Krishna, is, is anxious, always anxious, always anxious to get the fallen souls back home, back to Godhead. And for this, he has given so many chances to the conditioned souls via the authoritative scriptures, his representatives, and his personal incarnations also. Since he has no direct attachment to this world, he is not to be blamed for its creation. And actually, it said that its creation is, is, has developed because of the desires of living entities to lord it over material nature. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here if, that, if we didn't want to do that. And he actually really wants to be back in the natural relationship with the living entities of love. And he doesn't really want to be us to be here doesn't really want to have to have this kind of relationship with us. Just like, just like a parent would would rather not have to chastise the children. A parent would rather say, "Hey, if you do this, this is going to happen. You're going to get hurt. So don't do it." Um, and the child doesn't listen and decides to do it anyway. I say, "Hey, I told you before. If you do it again, that's going to happen again. It happens again." listen, if you do it one more time, then I'm going to have to really discipline you. And so that's what happens. So when we, don't, when we don't take responsibility, we put ourselves in a position of disempowerment, and we ultimately we experience the result of our actions, which is basically taking responsibility. We're, we're forced to take responsibility by experiencing the reaction of our of our actions. So we can't really ever get away with it. But interestingly, when we apparently don't take responsibility for it, it has to be the responsibility is still put on us. And that's really what this whole material world is. This is this whole creation is because uh, I want to switch this relationship around with Krishna. I want to switch it around. I want to be, I want to be able to like experience. And then not even that, it's not even like I, we're taking Krishna completely out of the picture and we're making him just like this inanimate energy stuff. 
we, we're sort of depersonalizing him and then using this energy and stuff, which is actually his divine nature, but it's material energy, and we're using it because we want it for us. So we're taking him out of the picture, and then we're using all this stuff for ourselves. So um, it's like uh, the whole material world is basically created in a wrong way of empowerment or relationship with Krishna. He has to actually do all this because we want to flip it around. And at the end, uh, flip it around with him, and at the end we enjoy it, and he becomes a sort of non-person objective energy. It's basically what's happening. And, and he says, even this material energy, it's Daiyeshagunamai, Bhagavad Gita 7.14. It's it's actually all my energy. It's divine, but yes, it's it's consists of the three modes, and it's difficult to overcome. But to those who have surrendered unto me, they can easily cross beyond it. So we want we want why we're here is because we decided we made some decision and we want to use the material energy to serve us. So Krishna isn't personally serving us in this way, but he has his representatives and deputies, which are, and I don't know, I'm just guessing, but I'm probably sure they probably would rather be doing something else, just like I would rather sit and paint with my kids than have to um, show the stick and tell them if they don't clean up their rooms, then they won't be able to go play with friends. I'd rather not do that. And we even can see that sometimes caretakers or parents or anyone in authorities, they have to show the stick sometimes. Um, they have to do this unpalatable work. Sometimes, like, I remember, I was just talking to Tisha about this the other day, that sometimes the baby, when they're a baby, falls asleep at night and they don't have a fresh diaper on. If they fall asleep with a, a soiled diaper, they'll get a diaper rash if we let them sleep in it like if they've gone to bed at night, and they'll get a terrible rash, and what that means is they'll suffer, and that you, as a parent, that means you have to do so many remedial measures after the fact. So you have to wake them and change, like change their diaper. And sometimes I remember we, I'd like create these tactics to like really carefully wake the diaper and not wake the baby up, and try to somehow change the diaper like, like a ninja. <laughs> without the baby waking up. Because if the baby wakes up, they're so angry that you've disturbed their sleep. Their diaper is coming off, it's all wet, they feel cold. <laughs> you have to wipe them <laughs> and put a fresh one on. But it's so nice, it's better when they have a fresh diaper on, but you have to wake them up from their sleep. And I, and I was just talking with someone the other day who works with the elderly, elderly who have memory loss, and they were saying that they have to, they had one, uh, one person at night who had fallen asleep and they had soiled their, you know, basically like their elderly person diaper. And they had to wake the person up be, and like take the diaper off, put them in the shower, shower them down, put fresh clothes on because the, even their clothes had been soiled too. And before going to sleep, and the, that person was so upset with them that they were saying, you don't care about me. You're just, you just want to hurt me. 
you're just doing this because you just want to like, you know, they were saying all this and, and the person was like, I don't really want to do that. You know, like I have to touch your poo. I have to put you in the shower. I'd rather just let you sleep through, but it's going to hurt you if you, if, if I don't do this. And so, so, but, but the, but from the, the elderly woman's perspective, she was thinking, oh, you're terrible, you're terrible. And she was telling you're terrible. And she was doing everything she could to resist. She was like falling on the floor and pushing and punching, right? And this is common. Like apparently the per this person I was talking was saying like this is, this is what we deal with on a regular basis. And so, so just, you know, seeing like, if you look at this, these examples and think, oh, okay, like it, that's a tough position to be in. And when we talk about government, it's it's we could say like, yeah, you know, um, uh, we should we should you know defund the police, and we should put we should put more resources in the education department. We should do like this. We should do like this. But really, what we're doing is we're just shifting responsibility around. Is something wrong? Oh. Does the receiver, does the receiver have a light on there? Hmm. If you want to just ask him again. Okay. So, you know, just, I don't want to get too, I, I thought it would just be a little appropriate to just talk a little bit about government, but basically we're shifting in government Government could have have responsibility to do certain things, and really a lot of the different perspectives that people have or stances they take politically have to do with how we're shifting responsibility around. So in democracy, uh, a lot of responsibility is given on the people that we trust people to actually make good decisions in their own lives, and that they're going to elect someone who they who they feel is appropriate for the position. So. Uh, Prabhupada actually, he says different things. He says, demon crazy. He also says in one letter, he says, this, your democracy system is very nice. So if we influence all of the people, the masses of people in the United States to, to become Krishna conscious, then naturally they'll elect a Krishna conscious leader. So he didn't always put democracy down. And he actually felt he was sort of st strategic in, in saying, let's just make the masses of the people Krishna conscious, and then they'll make a good decision. So it's shifting the responsibility around all the different ways. Some people think that the responsibility should be more on the, from the peoples. Some say it should be more from the leaders. So either way you arrange it, the responsibility, it does end up going somewhere, okay? And ultimately we do have the responsibility, just like there was a Colorado, um, Colorado Proposition 115, which basically was to ban abortion after 22 weeks, except um, if the life of the mother is threatened. So that was saying, and it actually wasn't, it didn't go through. So for some people they are celebrating, they're saying like, yes, you know, the, the choice of whether or not someone wants to do that is on the people, is on the person. And other people are upset saying like, this is, this is, uh, this shouldn't be done, it's, it's killing the baby. So, but ultimately we have to see that if the, even if the woman decides to do that, she will experience whatever results uh, come from 
ending a life of a, of a uh, helpless living entity in her womb, right? And we don't know the background behind that either, karmically, we don't know. Um, at the same time, we could also say, well, the government should, should uh, not allow it so that people don't do such an act so that people won't have to get that reaction. But either way, there's a responsibility there, right? And so when we get into talking about government, government, we can see that Krishna has arranged this perfect way of governing through the material world. He does it so perfectly um, that, that there are officials or deputies that are overseeing certain things, and they sort of like, like Lord Shiva, he sort of has this stick, and he kind of nudges people both to protect some people and to, and to also keep others in line, right? Um, but we don't get too much uh, overly involved in politics or govern, govern, government, unless it's our role in society to do so. Um, responsibility we have doesn't really ever go away. Um, and Prabhupada, had, he actually had different, different comments that he made. And he did say that this uh, one person in charge, that that person needs to be Krishna conscious saintly person. He also said we should influence the masses so that they can uh, elect a, a Krishna conscious person. And so we don't want to get too much involved in arguing about the how. The how. Uh, the responsibility has shifted. So I'll just stop there and hear from everyone else. going to be more, most influential is influencing the mass of people. But then I'm also appreciating not but Whatever, but I'm still getting the reaction because I make a choice. Yeah. And, and being, I think, yeah, as being like the point of the world is to kind of recognize that agency that we've been given. And, you know, we want freedom, we want agency as living entities. Yeah. And, and then, you know, it doesn't seem to be that we complain about punishment, like those things are, or, or reaction. Yeah, um, in, in a few different places, 
of Krishna is telling Arjuna that we shouldn't be attacked, we shouldn't hate, we shouldn't hate the, the results of our activities, the fruits of our activities. Um, like in, in 5.3, one who neither hates nor desires the fruits of his activities is known to be always renounced. Such a person, free from duality, is easily overcomes material bondage. So when something happens, we don't necessarily hate, hate that thing that happens. But we um, just do just do the proper work in the proper place at the proper time. We can we don't have to fear the troublesome effects if we do it that way. And if we don't do it that way, then the stick of the material energy will sort of prod us or prod us a certain way by us experiencing the result. And it's said that that person who understands. Uh, transcendence, or uh, such a person who's, who's in transcendence is understood as most intelligent. And so, yeah, if we we wouldn't have to have the modes of material nature and all this this whole world, this whole material world, if we just just uh, got back got back into our place with Krishna. Well, I mean, I remember when Wilma here, she was saying uh, that there were some studies done and they were saying that like punishment was less effective than, than working with someone and helping them transform. And so, yeah, it's true. Like if we educate people, then, then we should always try that first, you know, and we should see is... Uh, is someone, what's their nature, how will they respond, so they try, first educate, first inform, educate, inform, that's why, yeah, education is really important, we have to have that, and it is preferred, and then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, okay, 
then we might have to learn a different way, right? Just like if you say, don't touch that fire, your finger will get burned. Okay, I won't. But then, but then oh, don't touch that fire, your finger will be burned. Mm. This is like the, the, <laughs> the higher class or higher intelligence person. They learn by, by um, hearing and the lower intelligence learns them from having that experience. So, oh, I burned my finger, I touched the fire, and okay, I'm not gonna do it again, or some people, <laughs> so sometimes we're just so low class that we <laughs> will touch the fire and get burned, and then we'll think, oh, maybe if I do it again, I won't get burned, you know? Sometimes, I, actually, I like getting burned. It's kind of nice, it's like the, that's the mode, lower modes is, I actually like suffering from the beginning till the end. <laughs> so, yeah, but um, yeah, from the perspective of a living entity, like the mode of goodness is, is, is favorable, preferred above the mode of ignorance. And, and then in the mode of passion, we're more receptive to the Lord and to goodness. Um, from the mode of goodness, we can actually develop our spiritual evolution more than if we're in the mode of ignorance. It's just like a spark, a spark of flame that if it's thrown onto a wet, you know, wet soil or wet hard surface, it won't, won't spark. So that's like mode of ignorance. So we want to develop our spiritual, the most valuable thing is to develop our spiritual consciousness. But from the Lord's perspective, none, neither one's really better or worse because they're all functioning for the purpose of facilitating the living entity's reformation and evolution, which is really, when we hear, when we hear the word reformation, it may feel a little punitive, but really it's, it's behind that reformation's desire for the reformation is Krishna's desire for us to go back to him. I like that point that um, it's a tendency or somebody who's trying to avoid responsibility to, I mean, you can use this word, but like outsource their liberation to a material entity. It could be political, it could be whatever. Uh, I was talking to my Guru Maharaj about this because I had noted that in the last few months with the I mean, practically, in, in recent memory, unprecedented amount of turmoil that's happening around the world. Um, I mean, I'm a monk, and my life is also affected, so if, if you're out um, doing everything else normal people usually do, you're really affected. And I was talking about how I've noted that even devotees, even ones that I have a lot of respect for sometimes, have gone kind of down the rabbit hole about conspiracy theory and things like that. And he, he pointed out that it's a, it's a psychological function that people often will take shelter of that. He, he mentioned that his mother uh, used to be a, a sociologist, and she noted that in the 60s, when that was also a, like generations of time of upheaval and change, um, there was a lot of conspiracy theories then too. And she did uh, a, an essay, she did some research showing that when people are going through turmoil, certain kinds of personalities lean on that. For example, in the 60s, it was the whole, like, I don't know if you know about this, 
was actually dead. The Beatles were covering it up. There were like hidden things in the record. <laughs> right. There's all kinds of funky ideas they had about that, right? And of course it wasn't dead. Massive conspiracy, and they weren't channeling extra natural forces played backwards through the records, as far as I know. But uh, the same people who were perhaps predisposed to appreciating that reality is much more funky than we give it credit for will come to Krishna consciousness because Radha admits that reality is pretty far out. Mm -hmm. And those same persons are also predisposed to perhaps leaning into like conspiracy theory and belief when times are really, really difficult to understand. And when he said total sense. And conspiracy theories aside, you know, we all have our conditioned souls, we all have our kind of uh, support systems that we lean into and take shelter of, as Prabhupada would put it, we take shelter of the energy that we can find out of. It could be in the form of, you know, QAnon conspiracy theories. It could be in the form of um, going down to the pizzeria and having, like, whatever. And that's going to make me, like, satisfied with has to do with accepting this kind of radical responsibility. No, it's actually not going to happen for me. I know I'm doing that. So I thought that was pretty, um, pretty resilient and also relates to a lot of stuff we're going through right now. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Any other comments? Yeah. The I was actually listening to a conversation about this. And really, no matter how it goes, there is going to be, ultimately, we all will experience the results of our actions. And whether a government has some power or responsibility, because basically power means responsibility. And um, basically, responsibility means power that um, no matter which way we shift it, it's going to end somewhere. And whether we have someone doing it for us or not, we ultimately still have to take some responsibility for the fact that we're here. And just like a parent, you know, like as a parent, like I would, I'm glad that my children are, are like well-functioning individuals as for their age group and that I know that I hope and trust that they'll develop to the point where I don't have to do certain things for them because I know that they can do it and they'll be happy to do it. Like, as far as I know, you know, most healthy parents, they don't really want their children to be dependent on them for their entire life. And they want their children to be able to function on their own and become responsible and self-sufficient in those responsibilities. And so, Although, you know, there's this unhealthy dynamic of wanting people to depend on us because we feel strong that way. That's not real, really real empowerment. So Prabhupada, he, he's given so much through the scriptures, through his translations, through, through his purports. He's really, really, really pushed book distribution um, because he wants people to be informed and educated so that we can come to the point where we're basically liberating ourselves from this, from this uh, debilitated consciousness where we think ourselves the controller and 
we think our way is the best way, but um, his, his vision and mission was to really get the education out to educate. And um, sure, we may have our structure, our organizational structure. We might have to act as a Kshatriya is meant to act. Certain times we might have to, um, we might have to impose, uh, enforce certain rules. So, I just thought that would just be a, a relevant thing for today. So, whoever, whoever ends up being the president, we pray that that uh, more and more people become Christian conscious, and that we can ultimately as a mass of people in the United States come to the point of recognizing that the ultimate role of the, of the leader is to help others become Christian conscious. So let's pray and share Christian consciousness with others. Let's end there in case anyone has any other closing remarks. Shri Prabhupada ki jai, Shri Bhagavatam ki jai.